The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. How's it going, guys? This is Cameron with His Girl Friday. Hope you're doing well. Cutting this at 8.45 Saturday night. It's Memorial Day weekend. One of the few long weekends I have this year. And just wanted to take advantage of that extra time in part by recording this soap study pod. As some of you know, if you've been journeying with us the past few years, a couple times a year I like to write a soap Bible study. This comes from our youth pastor days when Liz and I we were pastoring Legacy Youth at the Gate Community Church. And so Bible study was really the core curriculum or the core template. It was how we did our Bible studies in the morning. Uh, we would have a pre-service Bible study for those who wanted to attend. It wasn't the main service, uh, but we always had a couple youth show up. And SOAP was the method we used. It's really a method of analyzing the Word. The S stands for Scripture. The O stands for Observation. A for Application. And P is prayer. The scripture for tonight is Romans 15, 1 through 7. And as I discuss this, uh, just know that the observation and the application are not going to be so distinct, so separated. Normally I go in order. I'll share my observations and they're discrete from the applications. I, they might get interchanged because I feel like it's so hard to separate them uh, in the context of this passage. So we'll start. And we're going to read this in the message, but we're going to go back and forth, mainly between the message and the Amplified, with some English Standard Version mixed in. Starting in verse 1. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter, and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waited right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way Scripture puts it. Even if it was written in Scripture long ago, you could be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependable and steady our warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to God and the Father of our Master Jesus. All right, so as always, these passages are loaded and it's hard to know where to start, which is why it's so good to journal when reading the Word to help organize your thoughts. And that's essentially what SOAP does. It's, it's, a, it's great. It's a template and then a method for discussion, but also writing your thoughts down and recording them so you can come back. Uh, if Some of you are old school. You might like taking notes in your Bible. For me, I just don't like mudding up the text. I have to have a journal or uh, a Word doc on a laptop or, in this case, a five-year running block. So I guess the first observation that stands out, 
Uh, verse 1, I love how the message captured Paul's heart. Strength is for service, not status. That's the first phrase that really leaped out at me. I think you can add some more to that. And in the spirit of the Amplified Version, you can also add skill to the mix. Since strength is not skill either. It's so much of our cultural value, the message it preaches on strength, it boils down to societal contributions. What can you do for me? That's what strength is to the world around us. And that is often your job. It's performance. It's the secular ways we derive our identity apart from God. Strength is feeling macho, that you're capable, that you're able. And by what standard? I think even for believers, it's easy for some of that cultural definition to mix into that view of are we strong? Are we not strong? Or rather, where are we strong where we're not strong? And strength is such a key word. I mean, we, you know, I'm talking to believers. We talk about assessment profiles, behavior. Uh, people are very interested to know how they're wired. So they'll look for strength finder assessments or tests along those lines. And strength finders is actually the name of one that I highly recommend has a bank of 32 strength qualities and you it gives you a ranking through an a, a intake questionnaire of sorts. You have to take it after you read a book. And there are a lot of systems and programs like that. Strength is important to us and that's okay. And that's good actually. That, that's how it should be. But when we talk about strength, and I'm not trying to sound cliche here, Christ has to be our strength, the core of our strength, the epicenter of our strength, before anything else. And there has to be a gigantic leap between the next thing that, you know, we're driving our sense of strength from. I mean, actually, you could say it should be Christ and Christ alone, and that actually makes sense. Because uh, really, strength comes entirely from him. He's the creator and designer of it. Now, Paul, let's get back to the passage here. Paul suggests the opposite of those of that societal cultural definition. We are strong in Christ, which means we're strong in faith, in our conviction of persevering weakness. Internally, this can mean accepting God's grace without debate. Externally, this can mean patiently enduring with other people, other believers in our church. Uh, we, we're patiently enduring with their weaknesses and shortcomings that are outside of our control. Unfortunately, we not just Christians, but we all practice this in theory without it directly translating in every situation. I think many, we mean well, we, we want well, but if we're honest, we take that internal inventory, we take that internal temperature, and we find places where we for, we forgive, but we don't really say the words. We're easily offended, and we just think, we write it off as, I'm just annoyed in the moment. Those things can linger on through time. And we're easily content being willing to help without actually helping. I think maybe that's more the direction we need to go tonight. Yeah, there's a forgiveness and walking and reconciliation with each other component to all this, but there's that hands-on, are we actively helping people? And this, perhaps this passage overall jumped out in light of the coronavirus situation and what I've been seeing and observing the last two and a half months. I just got out of a meeting with some fellow church leaders and we talked about the the more apparent division in the body of Christ bubbling up, welling up to the surface through social media and these 
online platforms where people are just lending their voice in unsolicited fashion. What they think of this policy, state and federal analysis, thoughts on the president, thoughts on legislation being passed. You know, are we doing the right thing in handling this pandemic? And it's just we've never been in this place before in history. Even in past pandemics, you know, the, our nation wasn't as developed as it is now. Everything was way more open and widespread, and now everything is clustered, and there's just a whole lot that's happened in the last hundred years, mainly comparing this to the uh, influenza outbreak. Really apples and oranges when you think about it, so it's just, it is a unique time. It's not just a generational occurrence, it is a lifetime occurrence that we're talking about. So it makes sense that people are confused, they're... There's so much unknown, and it exposes people. Uncertainty has a way of exposing where our faith is anchored and how much of it. It's okay to have little faith because God can use that mustard seed faith, but are we planting those seeds in the right soil? Are we planting them at all? That's what I'm wondering. So that's verse 1, and perhaps, you know, all that said, you know, that going back to we're easily content being willing to help without actually helping. Perhaps this is why Paul said in verse 2, you know, he's so straight up, straightforward, let each one of us make it a practice to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up spiritually. That's one of the reasons why we're here. Yes, we're here to practice intimacy with God in a way, like, you know, it's a training ground for heaven, as I like to call it, but we're, we're, we're going to be in community in heaven, too. We're going to be with all those who have believed in the Lord Jesus and accept Him as Lord and Savior. We, it's not like we just have our own private quarters up there and it's just like we just got to get there and I'll just, you know, be forever happy, which is true. The sadness of the world behind me, but just kind of I could do my own thing in isolation. Isolation doesn't exist in heaven. So we have this lifetime to practice being in community with one another. And while we're at it, just, you know, Paul's like, let's, you know, it's like he's giving a guide, a short and quick, easy guide to how our evangelism should look. That's what jumps out in verse 2. That's that's part 1. That's observation 1. Uh, 2, if there's one main concern I have about the church and Christians in them, is how we have programs to reach people yet avoid people's troubles. One could say we want to win souls for the kingdom without having to address their warts and worries. Paul says emphatically in verse 3, that's exactly what Jesus did. Or rather, <laughs> I probably should rephrase that. Um, we shouldn't aim to win souls for the kingdom. That's part one, but we should also be willing to embrace them and welcome them into our midst. And it's not just our church, but where God is moving, where his spirit is manifesting. It's where the life of him exists. You know, we should want to push people in that direction, in the, in the direction of Jesus, not necessarily the, the direction of Jesus specifically in our church, but again, getting out and tangibly helping people, not avoiding their, not avoiding troubles. That's exactly what Jesus did. Now in verse three, he didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waited right in and helped out. Put another way, Jesus took on the troubles of the troubled, and that, in a nutshell, is how we should approach the communal element of our not just evangelism, but now we're getting into discipleship here. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not trying to oversimplify evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism in large part, is how we are touching the unsaved and the lost and the hurting and the suffering and the wounded 
outside our doors. And a lot of times discipleship is what happens once they're indoors. But I know that's too divisive of a line. I'm just thinking, you know, I've often thought there's so much focus on getting people in the doors. It's like there's that, like, what do we know? What do we do with them once they're inside? Do we have the discipleship component? They go hand in hand. So that's why it's like we have to be willing to walk it out, have systems and structures in our congregations where regardless of where they're at, like there's people walking with them, people determined to have regular communications with them, life on life. It's it's more than just the quarterly potluck, but being willing to be on a phone train system of sorts and just being, you know, hey, and now and then just being spirit-led and just calling them up and being like, hey, you know, you've been on my heart. That's why we pray and we seek the Lord and we have those quiet times so that we're, we're positioning ourselves for the Lord to put people on our heart to contact. And they don't even have to be in our church or congregation. They could be really anywhere, but it's just like we can't be so turned off by their troubles and weakness. We may not be qualified to address certain troubles, but that shouldn't keep us from loving and showing kindness and compassion to them. All right, let's keep going. This kind of reminds me of Galatians 6, 1 through 3, and I'll speak this in the message. I love how, you know, the, the cross between these two passages, between Galatians 6 and Romans 15. First three verses. Uh, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed share their burdens and so complete christ's law if you think you are too good for that you are badly deceived so there's the forgiveness component i told you we can't really compartmentalize that uh, it's just let's love on people let's not let's have compassion on where they're coming from if they're in these deep dark desolate places god ultimately is doing the saving but we are the vessels he's doing the saving through let's not turn ourselves away from God. Let's not turn our backs on him inadvertently and be like, you know, I, I don't want to get my hands messy here. That's the whole point of church is to be together, to get our hands messy and to be under the faucet at all times. It's like, hey, we, you know, we're, we're falling too. Like there's always a source and, and our Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit, being able to wash our hands with all that. I'm just trying to say we shouldn't Fear getting our hands dirty and restoring people, forgiving people. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of not speaking critical thoughts, and that goes back to why I'm, had, I'm in this leadership meeting a few days ago. We're addressing critical comments being made from people in our local fellowship about national leaders of this country, the authority that God has given, and there's just a lot of bad mouthing going along and. You find, and I am really, you know, I have many warts myself. I'm not one to get in these debates and to find, you know, stir up trouble on social media. That's just not me. I, I avoid that like the plague. I pretty much just post pictures of my life and, you know, updates with my kids, and that's about it. So this is one of those things where it doesn't really... Uh, involve me personally, but it still affects me because you see the evidence, things that grip. Like, I didn't know that person felt so strongly about this, and that is good context for me to have, but I wish it would have come out differently. The heart of compassion. It, it seems like Facebook and Twitter, there's way more criticism than compassion. 
and you would hope the church would step up, but I don't know. I think you have people stepping up, but for the most part, lately, just, again, that spirit of the unknown. We're so afraid. I feel like a lot of us are living in fear, and we need to own that. Anyway, all right, observation number three, the dance between the message and amplified translations in verse four is fascinating. For whatever was written earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. That's the message. Now it's too amplified. Even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of a steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. All right. So let's break this down. We don't just endure through the word, we encourage through it. Likewise, we don't just read the word to stay alert. We study the word to inspire diligence and vigilance. Think about it. For counsel to exist, there must be community of two or more gathered, Matthew 18, 20. And where there's two or more gathered, you have confidence and trust being shared, maturing in God's promises. Also, it's important to be ready for the next. We can't get there if we're not loving in the now with apparent hope. Hope has a chance to flourish in the context of relationship. It's harder for hope to flourish when you're in isolation withdrawing all the time. This is why trust isn't an individual exercise, but a corporate pursuit. To be on mission with Christ is essentially a co-mission with each other. All the more reason we should embrace weakness as our uh, endurance, our encouragement, and counsel build up the body. And that's one of the themes I want to drive home through this, through my four points of my observations and applications. We don't embrace weakness that well. We certainly don't do it in society, and even in spiritual circles, we don't really talk about embracing weakness. We still try to avoid it. We try to deal with it. We try and do whatever we can in our relation to weakness without having to embrace it, but we have to embrace it. Otherwise, the cross has no meaning, and I've mentioned that before in prior pods. Last point. Finally, in verse 5 through 7, we see the purpose of endurance and encouragement captured in one word, harmony. To have harmony is to have unity. And like the early church in Acts, God desires these gifts to help us be of one mind and heart according to Christ Jesus. Very key phrase there. You can be of one mind and one heart, but you can be way offline and not rooted in the Lord and Christ and Scripture and God's Word. Still begs the question, how do we achieve this in a way the words resonate at our core? In short, Paul gives us a template in these three verses, 5 through 7. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so you get along with each other as Jesus gets along with us all. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Again, it's interesting to note how many aspects of God's nature can exist in a vacuum or isolation. And glory is a great case study here. The very last word of this passage reminding us why all of this matters. How do we experience glory? Many would say righteous living, living out the truth we declare and believe. To me, I think we have to be careful that we don't chain glory to legalism or rather let legalism be the chaining mechanism where glory is just a bunch of tenets. Just a bunch of, you know, feeling like we're being in spiritual compliance and feeling like this false sense of peace. That we're being 
compliant to God's word, that the glory is so much more. It transcends all that. Honestly, this is more how we posture ourselves to the glory. Like there, we need to take seriously righteous living. We have to know what that means, how we live out the truth we declare and believe. Like we have to be consistent. Let's walk the walk, not just talk the talk. But we have to understand what postures us to glory. And, and, and then there's that next level of, all right, we've postured ourselves. Now God's ready to show up. We can encounter it, not by our own strength, but we need each other. We must reach out and welcome one another, not just to church, but where God is moving, speaking, manifesting. I mentioned that earlier. So we just can't forsake the relational component. That's so key. I mean, it goes back to the existence of the Trinity. There's always been relationship in community, that communal aspect. I mean, so much of what we do comes down to the cross, and we celebrate the cross through communion, and it's weird to do communion by yourself, just saying. <laughs> Glory manifests in a lot of different ways. I'm not here to break down glory. We'd be here all day. But it is when God begins to move and stir, and now it goes beyond yourself. You're under the faucet. You've positioned yourself under the faucet, but what happens when the faucet comes on? I think when we experience life under the faucet, we should be stored to want to go out and share the love of Jesus with people, even in our workplaces. And I have and. I don't have time to dive in. I want you so bad. Part two to this will be how this works in the marketplace. But there's many opportunities to show love at work as faith is at work in our lives. There's a lot of opportunities to do this. We're, I'm not saying, you know, you get off track at work and try to force evangelism. And No, no, I'm just saying the importance of loving our neighbors at work, not just our literal neighbors down the street, but also... And not just even the neighbors in proximity at church, but at work, we can't forsake this. This is a lot of us, like we spend most of our day time at our jobs. The job is really a huge part, maybe the main core of our mission field. That's why I'm so passionate about the marketplace and seeing our identities, marketplace ministers, kingdom influencers, agents, and our arenas of expertise, those skills and gifts that God has given us. And how we rely on God at work, regardless of the situation and some of the weird stuff that goes on when we're on the clock. That's why His Girl Friday exists in a big way. If we're reaching out to one another, getting back on track here at this point, if we're reaching out to one another, this implies love. And we know from 1 Peter 4, 8 that love covers a multitude of sins and seeks the best for others. Accordingly, as we're inviting people to glory one step at a time, maybe a very baby step at a time, let's embrace weakness as presenting people to Jesus and pressing into Jesus once we're there. If we're actively pursuing freedom and healing from strongholds and helping others do the same through our evangelism and discipleship, no question will inspire scripture to come alive in people. So I'm going to end this by reading the prayer and then we'll close up shop. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your capacity to redeem and restore. We thank you for the golden opportunities and divine appointments you've been setting up in the world today. We declare our joy and satisfaction in your ways and purposes. But now, Lord, we ask you to forgive us for not, for not taking our faith seriously, specifically in the areas of relying on your strength, for helping others as we see fit, not as you see fit. We say it is you, God, who makes us fit, who f equips us for good works and establish our steps for them to happen. 
I know in my case, I have hidden behind the quarantine at times and avoided being available to people, in part to lick wounds from earlier in the year. I admit there have been times I prioritized my perception of healing, basing it in distance from people in the absence of personal errors and wrongdoings towards me. But I'm gripped, O oh God, by how you pursue us regardless of the trouble we're in. I'm amazed how you've orchestrated the scriptures with the passage of time for our benefit. Accordingly, we choose to wait for you as you wade in for us. We may not see the evidence of maturity growth now comes in our lives. Yet, perhaps we see them, but they're not happening at the pace we'd like. Regardless of our ability to make sense of our situations, we ask God, you be our help, our source, refuge, our strength as we consistently depend on your study counsel. We choose to make peace with our brothers and sisters, with those who disagree with us. We choose to not be disheartened by the evidence of disunity. Instead, show us the way to harmony and maturity in dealing with those who are lost, whether by faith and character or in their understanding of you. After all, at every point in our lives, we are lost without you one way or another. Why not be warm in our correspondences with one another as we humbly seek your heart, your strategies, and your invitations? Why not say yes to your unfathomable joy as we hand out those invitations to those who really need them for such a time as this? Be with us as we go forth from this moment and this place. To yours be all the glory forever and always. Amen. All right, guys, as always, you got this. Hope this uh, lit a fire, at least resonated in some way with you. Love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear your comments. Feel free to share them on our blog. You can share them on social media, or you can just drop me a PM at your convenience. You can check out, there's a separate page on our website where you can drop a comment. Um, either way, your voice is important to us, and we know that we are together. We may not see each other often. We may not see each other ever, really, but we can partner with the same God by our side, Christ residing in us. Let's be one heart, one mind, one voice together. If you're in, I'm in. Let's do it. All right, have a wonderful weekend. Catch you on the Friday. Peace.